0: a part of the show, text Bobby V on the UPS Jobs text line at 437-9680. All right, are we back? Are we on? Is this on? Is this thing on? Hello? Can you hear me in the back? Raise your hand if you can hear me in the back. Good, thank you. They all did. They all did. That was awesome. (laughs) Uh, We got good guys back there. The man of... The infinite bow ties. Now, that's not true because he oh, can't the be-, be infinite. No, but the best bow ties in college basketball well, is what no I respect. He wins by default. Who else wears them? No, there's other guys. Nobody. I've seen other guys. Nobody wears CL them. CL does it best. <laughs> Nobody wears them except Ken Rosenthal in baseball, and you don't do baseball. CL Brown with us here. But you do have very good bow ties. How many do you have, do you think?
2: I have no idea, to be honest.
0: Take a um, guess.
2: Yeah, I used to be. A, I could... I could have told you a number, like, a couple of years ago, but yeah. Oh,
0: now it's out of control. You got, like, hundreds? Well, oh, it's been out of control. Now,
2: I, I, I wouldn't even say hundreds, but it, it's, still, it's, it's still out of control, trust do,
0: me. Do you have any of the goofy ones, like the clip-on, or are they all the ones you actually have to tie like a big boy?
2: Oh yeah, Nah, man. You don't do that clip-on stuff over here. <laughs> it's all, it's all authentic. Now I thought you were gonna say goofy, like you know, I got I bought a couple around Derby, you know, with oh. horses on it and the furs and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't do the clip-on.
0: Well, I have to. I have to. I have to uh, co- uh, coordinate with you because seriously, I have like three, and I like them, but I don't have the guts to wear them yet. I don't know how yeah. to tie them. Yeah. I I, sp-
2: yeah that's, I, I I would be more than thrilled to see you in a bow
0: tie. Wow. All
2: right. <laughs> At a well, game. That would be awesome. All
0: right. Well, then you know what? That's coming. I don't know when, but it's coming. So, uh, okay. and all all three thousand people there will get to see me in a bow tie. Oh, hey, how you doing there? Ooh, yikes! Oh it's man!
2: Service, folks.
0: So. All right, let's let's start, but as I did earlier with Eric, with the kind of more gentle question, not about the future of Louisville and where they're going. But how good is Duke in your mind? What'd you see out of them?
2: Well, I've been waiting for Tyrese Proctor to to have that kind of a game all year. Mm -hmm. And I felt like he's kind of, I don't know, he's he's kind of stuck in neutral, I felt like, for most of this season where he hadn't really improved much over what he did last year as a freshman. So um, that bodes well for them to see him have that kind of a game, shoot with confidence, make the right plays. They need Jeremy Roach healthy, though. Uh, ultimately, I think this team comes down to, you know, if he's healthy, what he does. Because I just think his leadership, he he has a way of kind of just like stabilizing things when it's, it looks like it might go out of control for them. Um, he sets the tone defensively. Uh, I, I think to, to sum up your question, I think Duke is good. I don't think they're great. Like, even with all of the hype of their five stars and everything, I don't really see a dog out there, you know, that a player that you look at and you're afraid of, yeah. like this guy's going to take over this game. I don't really see that from them right now. So uh, they got a lot of good players, you know, um, and they got guys who can fit roles. I think it's important for them to have Mark Mitchell healthy as well in, in the lineup, but – um I don't know. I, I think they could get better, but I think probably we've seen them at their best already.
0: Let's go back to Roach. I, I haven't seen. I'm trying to find out on the web, the interweb, what's what's happening. For the people who don't know, he had a knee injury which kept him out of the pit game. What happened last night was not that. I, I guess he landed on uh, on the Mike. Uh, I think he landed on Mike's foot, if I'm not mistaken. Turned his ankle, came out, tried to go back in, but then came out and 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 missed the rest of the game. Uh, have you heard anything else else today? Because he's out for an extended time. I agree with you. I, I think that really compromises their chances.
2: Yeah, I, I haven't heard anything today um, updating his status. But, uh, it, you know, the thing about him, I feel like he is a gritty kind of guy. If he can play, he's going to play. It's not like a situation um, <laughs> to throw ahead to UK and Calipari. You know, he, him mentioning a dude there, Dunking in practice, but he's not sure why he's not playing in the game. Right, you know, right. it's, it's not a situation where where it, it almost seems like the player is is milking a situation and not wanting to play. Like if, if Roach can play, he's going to be out
0: there. You know what? Not to cast dispersions, because I, I don't mean to. We're all I'm not standing on my lawn shaking my fist at the moon and doing that. But I I, I mean. I don't know whether these people, these kids all have advisors or they know that they perceive themselves as their million dollar contracts up in the air. But and even to the pro level, they just they don't play hurt as much as they used to. And I, I, or is that just a perception? Maybe we know more about what's going on now and we didn't know as much stuff then. But I mean, I remember hearing stories about guys I'm watching, you know, John Havlicek once. played. Think about this. He once played a playoff game. With a dislo- he's right-handed. With a dislocated right shoulder, he played the whole game left-handed and still scored like 24 points. I don't think anybody would do that now. I don't care if it was the seventh game of the playoffs. And in college especially, again, not trying to cast dispersions, but remember, Tyler didn't want to play because he didn't have the right uh, support hose. I mean, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. what, what do you make of that?
2: Well, I mean, it's a different day and age. I, I, I think back, I'll, I'll make it more personal. I just think of when, when I first started working, I essentially would never take a sick day even when I was sick. Right. You know, for for some odd reason, <laughs> I don't know, some notion that I need to be working and I have to keep doing this or whatever. If I'm sick now, man, I'm shutting it down. <laughs> that's the, but that's the way you get better faster. Yes. You know what I mean? You don't have this lingering effect because you've been overworking your body or whatever. So I kind of feel like players today – they do have more information to me they're taking better care of their bodies today than we did you know a generation ago and um i think that factors into it it's really it's really a thin line between okay i'm going to give it a go even though i'm not 100 percent and okay you know i might risk injuring myself further by playing so i need to you know what i mean like i i it, it's always a difficult decision to me uh, of whether okay, can you really go on this, or do you really need to just shut it down for another game or so and give yourself time to heal. So, I, I'm I I tend to you know in most cases uh, agree with with, the, with whatever decision a player makes in terms of if they can go or if they can't go, and I also think it, it matters. Uh, if it's playoff time and you're not going to have an opportunity in a month True. or postseason or if it's a regular season, you know, weeknight game that, OK, yeah, maybe I, even if we lose, maybe I can afford to sit this out so I can be better for when it counts.
0: Well, the only thing I would say, in fairness, and again, now we're going to get it political and people are going to yell at me, but. The difference between an illness and an injury is, if you have a sprained ankle, you're not really going to affect anybody else around you. If you came to work and you're sick, you could make everybody in the office sick. Then that's, I think we're much more sensitive to that than we used to be. I mean, that's, that's true. Yes, I think that's for part sure. of it, and we should be for, for that matter. Like Nick is right here, infecting all of us today. He's sick as a dog. So. He came <laughs> in to work, and we're all. But babies. I
2: would, I would also say, if my, if I got a hurt ankle and I'm trying to play through it, I might be making everybody else worse too. Well, that's true. I'm not going to play the same Fair.
0: That's fair. That's a good point. CL Brown's with us here. All right, let's get to this 600 pound gorilla in the room. I mean, it, it certainly doesn't look. We all, well, I can't say we all, but I don't know anybody who doesn't like Kenny as a person. If if they had an all nice guy contest, you know, like a pageant, he would certainly be one of the five finalists on the stage and he might very well win it. He's a great guy and he he's, connects with people. Every time we play road games, I'm amazed. As soon as the game ends, there's like 30 people that he knows in that city that want to come and say hello. But they're clearly not getting a whole hell of a lot better. How much prob- How much trouble is the program in right now going forward at the end of this year? Assuming they were to make a change, and right now it looks like it's likely. I mean, are they starting all over again?
2: Well, I think it would depend on who decides to leave and everything. But I, I really, man, <laughs> maybe I'm naive in this, Bob, but I really think the pieces are here r- right now. For a good team, a very good team, they just need a couple more players to to round it out. Because right now they have no depth. If you look at um, when when Kenny is playing the right five, and I'm gonna leave that at that, um, they can hang with teams. Mm-hmm. They're there. You know, right there in games, they're in position to win games. You know, when they have to go deep onto the bench, that's when they 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 lose a lot. There's a drop off there because you know of all the attrition and stuff that's happened this year, they just don't have depth on this team. But uh, they're also young and getting more experience, and next year would be the year where it should pay off. Um, so I, I I don't think it's I don't think it's a deal where it's going to be prolonged more years of you know what the last few years have been here at U of L. I, I think they're really close to, to a flipping this thing, and um, if if everything, if the core anyway, kind of stays intact, because I, I mean, I, you know, I feel like the light switches come on with Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Yeah. I feel like Mike James. If if they were winning games, that he would be a star. People mm-hmm. would be talking about him in that way. You know. Um, I think, uh, you know, Ty Lore has a, has a big upside if he can, you know, I mean, lose some of this freshman immaturity that I'm, that I'm yeah. hearing about. No, this kind okay. of his mental state. But the pieces are there, I think.
0: I – well, that leads to the question. doesn't beg the question. That's not what begs the question means, but it leads to the question. Do the guys stay if Kenny doesn't stay?
2: That's a good – I mean, I think – that's a good question. <laughs> I I can't really answer that too. As you noted, I mean everybody loves Kenny, and I think that's that's also why we haven't seen this team quit. You know, um, that that Wake Forest game notwithstanding, that that was that was a horrible game. But um, I think in in some respects they're fighting for him. Um, I'm not sure that the kids still like they really internalize. The job pressure of it, even though they hear and see what's going on, I, I, I don't think that they're like feeling like they got to play to win his job. But um, they're playing to represent what he's been teaching them and everything. So, you know, they they, they love him. They want they want him to be around. And uh, I don't know if that would end up being a mass exodus or what. I, I think it would also depend on just you know who who they brought in. And, and what kind of personality the next guy has.
0: This team plays last year's team. Do you think they win? Do they win handily? What kind of game do you think it is?
2: I mean, I'm not sure this team beats anybody handily.
0: That's yeah, true.
2: <laughs> Outside of, what, 20 points against Coppin State and then the Pepperdine game. But, uh, no, I think this team wins easily, you know. Um, I, I I think they're better. in in a lot of ways. Um, But, you know, (laughs) this team has made everything hard. Like, nothing really comes easy for this team. But I do think also, I I still feel like the way the schedule was set up, you know, with the ACC, they knew Louisville wasn't going to be contending for a title or anything. So the toughest games were up front, so they can have the marquee games when football is over you know, after the Super Bowl and, you know, um, uh, they can have have some prime time games. So the, the way the schedule ends for Louisville is still very favorable. And I, I do think if they don't lose, you know, if they don't kind of get the will beat out of them with taking these losses now, I, th- I think they can win some games um, what, closing
0: out the season. What do you see in the national picture? Who are your legitimate national champion contenders right now? that you feel comfortable confident enough to say you know if they played this thing 10,000 times i think this team would be in the final four you know more than half or half the time because right now the separation seems so small but there do seem to be a couple of elite looking teams who are they in your mind
2: uh i think uconn for sure i would say is is the front runner again um well, not that they were the front runner last year, but
1: <laughs> yeah, to defend, right.
2: after winning that title, it was just the way they played, um, I think North Carolina is is playing at at a high level. Um, and the thing that surprises me about it is the way they're playing defensively. Yep, uh, I mean they they've really been shutting things down. Wake Forest, uh, obviously, they weren't going to hit eighteen threes again uh, on Monday night against Carolina, but they've they've got a pretty pretty good offensive, you know, uh, personnel and skill set on that team, and, and they didn't get 70. What's crazy is Louisville is the only team in this nine-game winning streak for Carolina to get 70. They've held everybody else under 70, which was funny to me. But anyway, and for the gamblers out there, Louisville's the only team to cover the spread against Carolina last <laughs> 9 games. There you go. But anyway, um, <laughs> I think those two, I I would say Purdue, but Purdue is really at a point after the last couple of post-seasons where they have to prove it, and I think that's going to be an albatross going into March for them. You know, um, they, they are playing great basketball. They do kind of have a chemistry and, and connection with everybody uh, being on the same page. They play well, but until they get over that hump in March which is a considerable hump like I can't say that I believe they're going to make a final four cuz I believe it. <laughs> I believe they're going to lose before it is. Yeah. you know what I mean no oh, yeah and even though I think on paper they have a team to do it I just I just can't see it
0: what do you and, uh, uh, just um, go ahead I'm sorry no I was going to say
2: that fourth team I don't know I don't know who I would say is is a cut above um I would have said Houston uh until their losses recently. Um, Arizona kind of stubbed its toe from where it was earlier in the year. Tennessee is kind of intriguing to me um, because of, you know, they play well offensively. They, they, I think this is a better team offensively than Rick Barnes typically has, and, and Dalton Neck is, is killing it uh, for them. Probably, I would say, the number one transfer. Uh, in the, in the nation this mm. year and getting him from Northern Colorado. So, yep. yeah, those, those are my teams right now.
0: All right, brother. It's good to catch up with you. It's good to see you last night. And uh, I promise you there'll be a bow tie on the horizon somewhere. I don't know when, but there will be. And on review. All right. All right
2: <laughs> give me a heads
0: up beforehand. All right, I will. Thanks, brother. Take care. See uh, Brown. It's uh, always fun to talk with him. We'll shift our attention to the NBA in a minute. We'll have uh, Tim Legler join us. Before we do that, I want to give a big shout out to Matzo Pie for dropping off some epic pizzas. You know, if you change, you just put one line there. It would be Eric pizza's. Oh, nice. Eric, Eric Crawford. Pizzas. Eric Pizzas and focaccia bread for lunch today. Can't do much with focaccia. Uh, head out to Pie's Anchorage location for a unique dining experience. Also visit the Douglas Loop and Butchertown locations. Stop in, pick up some 1020 craft brews, and discover the delicious handmade brick oven pizza only at Matzapai. We'll come back, and Legs will join us, and that's going to be fun. Talk to him about the 30 and 13 Milwaukee Bucks making a coaching change. Wow. And also, Scary Terry. Terry Rogier. Terry Rogier moving AMA. on and moving on from a bad team to a good organization. So we'll see what he thinks about that. So, all that straight ahead. ESPN 680
1: Taking care of your family isn't always easy. So, we make sure getting care when you need it is. With Baptist Health Urgent and Virtual Care, we bring you more options and greater convenience, too with video visits available 24-7 and online check-in through MyChart for in-person visits. To check in online or to set up a video visit, go to baptisthealth.com slash careanywhere.
0: be a part of the show. Text Bobby V on the UPS jobs text line at 437-9680. Oh, it's always a pleasure when we get to welcome our next guest to the program. NBA former NBA player NBA analyst Tim Legler joins us here. And what a week in the NBA stories all over the place. So, Legs, by the way, you don't mind if my son eats lunch while we're on the air, Really? You're telling him this? Yeah. No.
1: yeah. I'm good. I'm good with it. I'm, so, I'm actually kind of hungry myself.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm having a salad. I'm trying to eat healthy over okay, here. That's so. good. Right, good. Good for you. Good for you. Very smart. Thanks. Right. Speaking of very smart, uh, how smart are the Milwaukee Bucks? 30 and 13 making a coaching change. You've been in that league. You know it's got to go beyond, way beyond their one loss record. Problems in the locker room? Problems with the star? What? What? What do you make of why they did what they did?
1: yeah all right well first let me just say bob that you don't make this move unless you know for a fact this is what Giannis of the coupon damian lillard want period of story you know those guys are going to deflect i'm sure when the questions come up oh you know hey i had nothing to do with it organization i don't get involved in those kind of decisions you know we all know that's a joke because if this guy's popular with those two players adrian griffin then you're going to keep him regardless and you're going to try to work through your issues and the big issues have been with this team, the dramatic step back they've taken defensively. I mean, they're just putting up, they're, they're getting numbers put up against them every night that don't really make you feel like they legitimately can win a title. Um, and I've, I'm on the record of saying you don't need to be top five like defensively to win a title anymore. I, I think the league is so offense-centric that you, you can be at least an adequate to above-average defensive team. And you can still win if your offense has enough firepower. Their defense is not adequate. Um, and and it's, it's, it's a variety of reasons. I think, look, you lost Drew Holiday, you replaced him with Damian Lillard at the point. So at the point of attack, you're not getting anything close to what you got with Drew Holiday pressure on the ball, fighting over screens, you know, switchability onto twos, threes, and fours. You don't get any of that stuff with, with Damian Lillard, and we've all known that about Lillard, but we didn't care as much because he was having to carry the load to such an extent in Portland. No one really cared about that end of the floor. Well, now you go to a team that is, is used to being very good defensively. That's a major step back at the point guard position. They also play two bigs, and by bigs, I'm, I'm including Giannis in that. Um, even though he's an elite-level athlete and a defensive player of the year, He's still a guy that's you know, his first couple strides defensively, when you're trying to move like a 22 shoe to to get from spot to spot, Mm. and you've got Brooke Lopez on the floor, too, and Chris Middleton, who has lost a step with all the injuries, and a Damian Lillard, this just doesn't resemble the same suffocating defensive team that won a championship. And so the personnel is, is a factor. But obviously, Damian Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and the front office believe it's a lot more than personnel. It's scheme, it's adjustments, it's preparation, it's all of those things. That's clearly what they are what they feel like they're lacking. So despite how unfair this is to Adrian Griffin, and let's make no mistake about it, first-year head coach, you've got a 30-13 record, you're second in the Eastern Conference, and you get fired. It's really no precedent for that ever happening in the league, really. Um, so it's unfair to him, but it's also honestly what they need to do to try to win a championship in this window that they've got Amy and Lillard paired with Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's that's what it comes down to, and they just don't feel like this defensive preparation is good enough to get them there.
0: Do you see... I mean, you already talked about the personnel difference, and that's very big, obviously, but did you see them philosophically change anything noticeable that you could see?
1: No, the only thing that that, that I noticed... And this is is league-wide. This isn't just the Bucs. I think so many of these teams are scoring so easily because of the nature of what the league looks like now and the numbers that are being put up that they get caught up in the mentality of trading baskets Mm. a lot of nights. And I didn't feel like that was the case the year that they won it or the two years prior to that when they were the number one seed in in the league and they came up short in the playoffs. So they had really a three-year stretch where they were a championship contender And they got it done in year three. The first two, they were even better defensively. And I felt like they they just had the look and feel of a team that wasn't going to rely on shot-making to beat you. And that doesn't look like that's the case with them anymore. They get caught up in trading baskets. They get caught up in trading three-point shots. They take quick threes. They do a lot of things that are disadvantageous to you defensively. But, again, that's league-wide. That's all over the place. It's not just the Milwaukee Bucks. But I do feel like when I watch them play – how easy it is to score on them is kind of alarming, and I've been feeling that way all year. I've been talking about this really since the first few weeks of the season um, with the Bucks. It was just glaring to me when I watched them, uh, you know, how much more porous they were on that end of the floor.
0: Tim Legler's with us here. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to talk about that later in the interview, but it seems like a logical next question. I mean, I look back at the games now, and I grant that nobody wants to go back to the the Knicks of you know an 84 to 79 playoff games when they were when every game was hand to hand combat in the Eastern Conference playoffs, but. I, I Some of these games I pick up and I look at it and I say, well, that must have been double overtime because <laughs> the game was <laughs> 144 to 139. But, I mean, then I look at it and I say, well, I don't know. Yes, yeah, some of it's philosophical, but some of it maybe just simply the fact that if you were looking at games that were in that interim, you know, not the really – like in the NBA, the average team scored 120 points like in the nineteen. 19- 60s early 1960s then by the 70s and 80s they were barely getting a 90 so i'm somewhere in the middle there you say a team maybe was scoring 112 115 points and you see a team right now that scores 135 points but they made 23 pointers so if they were just two point shots they would have been averaging about 115 so is right. it ju- is it just the number of three-point shooters that are on the floor and the willingness that the teams have to shoot them
1: well, that's a big part of it, no, no question. All right? So the mentality around the game and what you're looking for and the way you hunt the shot. I mean, it, it, I was watching a game last night, and I actually kind of laughed out loud. I was just sitting home watching a game, and I think it was eight straight trips <laughs> in, uh, in this game where it was a three-point take, and it was off all off of one pass. So they're coming up, and they're flaring out to such an extent. That's the shot they're hunting, and the analytics – have told them that this makes the most sense. Mm. This is the most efficient way to operate offensively. So that's part of it. And this is another part of this too. And look, you talked about the defense and the mentality. I played in the '90s, and you had to have a lead pipe in your sock to get to the rim because <laughs> you were going to get, you know, you were going to be felonious assault if you tried to get to the basket. So, so I hear you on that. They've definitely, obviously, relaxed the rules to take away contact on the perimeter. You know, guys, now you're worried about hitting a guy that's up in the air. Because you could end up putting him on his back and there's gonna be replays. Now there's gonna the eighteen different angles in slow motion, high depth. They're gonna go take a look at it. You're gonna get suspended, you're gonna get ejected. Like they've taken that out of the game. They've taken physicality on the perimeter out of the game. So that's that's part of it. And then the final part of this, and, and this is where I'll give the modern player credit, there are just more high level, highly skilled shot makers yes. in the league than ever before. There there are just more guys. That can make side step threes, step back threes. That can you know shoot mid range jump shots. That that are you know athleticism and getting to the basket against a more porous defense because they lack physicality. So I'm going to give the players credit too because what they're working on in the offseason to add all these things to the repertoire is just stuff we didn't do when I played. Now if you don't have a side step three in your in your in your bag as a perimeter player, like you're you're like a dinosaur. Like everybody's got that shot. And so it's a combination of all of those things. The mentality, the more skilled players on the floor, and then the rule changes. You add it all up, and you get a night like we had uh, two weeks ago where we had 10 teams score 130 points in the same night. I mean, it's it's insane to think about those kind of numbers now.
0: But you watched the game where they shot eight threes in a row. You must have broken out into a little bit of a cold sweat. You must have been thinking, "Boy, was I the wrong place at the wrong time?"
1: <laughs> uh, well, you I mean, I, I think every single yeah. night I watch this league, and I, you know, and it's 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 not just even like the number of guys you know in the green light that guys have. Because I, I would say, look, obviously, I, mean, I was I was a shooter on the teams I played on that had the green light. The problem is. You just didn't process what a good shot was the way you do now. Yep. Like you thought about those things and the ball was going to go inside first before it came out. So it was different, but I think what what I envy more than anything are watching shooters, like particularly like a role player shooter like I was, literally not have a shot that they can possibly take that their coach would consider questionable. And I don't know, like, what that would feel like, the mental freedom to just literally take any shot you want and nobody on the bench even changes their expression. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But, but that's, that's where we are. I mean, you know, and I, I always felt like I could shoot when I wanted to, but it was just like the, the way the game was played was different. So you just you're, you had a conscience about it. Like, you know, this is not what we're trying to get right now. Um, And if that's what I look at every night and I envy these guys that, you know, play like 20 minutes a game like I did – that come in the game, and the first time they touch it, they jack a twenty-seven footer, and there is not even a batting of an eye on the bench, and it's just like, wow, that would be amazing, you know, for somebody like myself that I think had a pretty good shooting stroke and pretty good range. I don't, I would be amazing to play with that kind of mental freedom. It is true.
0: That is absolutely the true. It is is ready, fire, aim. That's the mindset now, man. They just come out and tee it up, and ever and that's the other thing. It's at every damn position on the floor. I mean, it's not like they got two or three guys that are designated shooters. If you're playing, you're allowed to tee it up for the most part. So
1: it's... no, that's another that's another great point. Like with the teams I played on, there were two or three guys on the roster that kind of you that were taking the vast majority of the three point shots. And honestly, most of the teams I played on in the '90s and and around the league, it wasn't the point guards. Point guards weren't taking threes. Right? It, they, they were setting up those two or three wing players on every team. That could take the shot and take the shot willingly and and not have any repercussions for it. But now, you literally have, you know, twelve guys probably out of the fifteen on your roster that can shoot the shot whenever they want to. So it's it's you know all of that adds up to what we're talking about. And so now here you are midseason, the Milwaukee Bucks look at their team and they know well we obviously have more than enough firepower, but they're concerned. That when you've got to beat, and they're basically their their gauge is the Boston Celtics. Like that's who they're looking at, and to a lesser extent Philly, but they're looking at the Celtics, and they're looking at you know a couple teams out west that can put up big numbers, and they're saying, wow, you know we can't we can get shoot out like, I think what happened with the Indiana Pacers beating them four times, who who are the fastest paced team in the league mm. and the highest scoring team in the league, I think that is what really alarmed the people internally mm. in Milwaukee. Like this is a this is a basically. You know, and Indiana's been a nice story this year, but they're still, you know, slightly above probably a 500 team. Let's say they're with Halliburton staying healthy, they probably win 44 games, 43 games, something like that. And this team is coming at us with no respect or regard for Mm -hmm. us whatsoever to the extent where we can't adjust and fork straight games to lose to a team like that. I think that's what started this. Um, And then some of the results lately. Just got to the point, and I said, like I said, there's no question. This is a full endorsement. Probably honest, not to the Kumpo and Damian Lillard. Even though you know that that will always, always be protected from that, I'm certain of it. That conversation had to take place because you can't make the move unless you know they're endorsing it.
0: Is Doc a guy to bring that defensive mindset that they would need?
1: I got some questions about that because I, you know, was I lived in the Philadelphia market for a long time. Still, still have a home in that area. Um, and so I was at a lot of those playoff games when he was in Philadelphia, and and even with the Clippers when I was covering the Clippers and they were they were you know every year they were kind of in the mix to win the title, and they would come up short in um, different areas. Um, you know I think defensively he will definitely be better just be just from experience. Um, you know Adrian Griffin doesn't have the experience that Doc Rivers has with his personnel making some adjustments. My my biggest question about this with what the Bucks are trying to do, which is say, title or bust, mm. period. We have to win a title this year, um, and that's how they feel about it. Doc has had some issues in big moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, that, and where he has been really scrutinized with some decisions, late-game stuff and the way the offense would slow down and stall. Now, look, some of that was flat out. He had a player in two players, in Ben Simmons and James Harden, who both sort of ran from the light in pressure situations in the playoffs. I get that. But, but, you know, that falls at the feet of the coach to figure out a way to be able to get around that somehow. Um, he wasn't able to do it. And then the teams he had with the Clippers, you know, there were multiple teams that he had that were favored to win series or make a legitimate title run, and they just never got close. You know, they had some injuries. And why not? so There's always some, some excuses and reasons for it. But I've always kind of looked at Doc as a guy that, like, in the pressure moments – I think there's definitely something there that like he kind of freezes up a little bit, and so now you're you're bringing him in basically for half a season to win a title, mm. or you're going to consider this a uh, you know a failed season, and so it's it's an interesting decision to me, and an interesting choice, but they clearly just wanted someone with a ton of playoff experience, and he did win a title in 2008, so he's a championship winning coach, but you know that's that's 16 years ago, mm. um, and and now and he's had more failures since then. That of teams that I thought had a real chance to make a run, and they just didn't do it. So it's it's just an interesting decision and interesting way to go. But I just feel like there was something going on in that locker room where they, the the top guys particularly, did not buy in to Adrian Griffin's message or have faith that this was the right guy to lead them through what they're going to have to go through and win 16 games in the spring and early summer. Yeah.
0: Talking to Tim Legler here on ESPN 680, 105.7. And uh, obviously another story that's not as big as that, but big around here is Scary Terry. Terry Rozier, former Louisville player, goes from a not particularly good team to a really great organization. And I don't know, you know their organization... You know, as well as anybody covering the league, as you have. Uh, if anybody typifies the Pat Riley, Eric Spolstro, Heat mindset, I think it's Terry Rozier. I think that's a great fit for him. How do you see him fitting in there with the Miami Heat? I actually think this is a massive acquisition. I mean,
1: I, I don't think I can overstate it. That's how big a deal I think this is for the Heat, and it actually, to me, thrusts them now back into the conversation for winning the Eastern Conference. And I, and I didn't mm-hmm. think they, I didn't think they had quite enough to do that. Looking at Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly, this does that for them because look, they're always going to play hard. They're going to play smart. They're going to play tough. They're going to be better defensively than those other teams I mentioned. Maybe the exception of Boston, when Boston turns up the heat, they're pretty pretty damn good defensively. So so can um, so so can the Heat um, more so I think than Milwaukee and Philly. Um, but but what they didn't have was enough creative offensive ball handlers, and that's what they needed to add. And they you know you think about with Butler out there and out of bio and you know on your space on the floor with Tyler Hero and Rozier and maybe a Duncan Robinson, you know, that's that's lethal. I mean, how are you gonna play that with Jimmy's ISO game, Bam's dive game, and, and way he controls the middle of the paint with pick and roll action, getting the ball there, he's so good what he does with it in the middle of the floor. And then you've got three guys spotted up to shoot it and by the way, two really high level ball screen operators, which is what the league is now in Rozier – and hero, so I just think it's exactly what Miami needed. You gave up basically nothing to get him. I mean, Kyle Lowry's had a great career. I mean, I have much admiration for Kyle Lowry, but he's at the very end. Mm. Um, he, got, you know, he has a hard time staying healthy. He's just not as reliable or consistent of a shooter anymore that you need in that spot. And, he was, and his contract's expiring, so you, you don't you don't really give up much to get a much younger guard. That's gotten much more upside now, and even you know in the future going forward, if he ends up staying there for a few years, I just, like I said I can't overstate how big this is, and some people might not think that because it's you know he's not a, he's not a perennial all-star player, but I just think it's exactly what Miami needed to add, and they needed some more punch and firepower to contend with the Milwaukee's, Boston's, and Phillies, and they, I think they've done it. ESPN 680-1057,
0: Tim Legler with us before I let you go. i got to ask about my guys, the Knicks, who um, the trade deadline in the league comes up February 9th. They got OG Ananobi, and they got rid of R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly. And I like both those guys, especially Quickly, who I think is terrific. But the discussion was uh, they have a glut of guards, and this could have been a move to lead to other moves. Do you see them doing something else before the trade deadline?
1: Yeah, I think they're going to be active. I actually think this is going to be one of the more active trading deadlines we've had. A lot of times, it is a lot of talk, and then there's just nothing that's right. a really of consequence. I think it's going to be different this year. This league is now set up in a way that you have the haves and the have-nots. And if you don't have – so there's really three tiers, championship contenders, purgatory, and then – Bottom feeders, okay? So the bottom feeders, their team's usually in rebuild mode. There, there's a good chance those teams will be looking to jettison off a veteran or somebody that's a, you know could be a really good rotational player on, on a championship contender looking to get picks or younger guys back in return. So you're going to have some of that. And then the, the, the top-tier contenders now, because there's so many teams – in the mix, you're not talking about three or four teams here that actually can make a title run. I mean, you might have six, seven different teams, maybe more, that legitimately have a shot. And if that's the case, those teams are more likely now to do something. Where in the past, if you had like three teams, they're all looking at each other. They're kind of going to think about maybe standing pat because they right. don't want to mess anything up because they're they're on the very short list. That list is a little bit longer now wow, of teams that can that can make a run. So I think there's more teams that on that level to get into to the to play and then you have the final group of teams which i call you know the nba purgatory those teams that are in that you know mid-40s and wins tough they're 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 competitive you know but they're not championship caliber teams i think that's probably where the knicks are um and and they're going to be a nightmarish matchup for any of those top teams in a seven game series because of the way that they play uh they could drag out any of those teams in a long series but how do you get over that? How do you get over the hump? You, you still need to continue to add. And and so I think the Knicks could be players. Now, by the way, I love the, the NNLB pickup because he fits better with what they're doing. He's a much more consistent, open three-point shooter than Barrett. Barrett's a high-usage ball handler. That doesn't fit with Randall and Brunson. It, that was very difficult for him to, to, be, to be in rhythm enough. I do like Quickly a lot. It's a shame to lose a guy with that kind of punch off your bench. That It could be like a sixth man, you know, Jordan Crawford, mm-hmm. Jordan Clarkson – uh, Jamal Crawford, Jordan Clarkson type guy, that's what he is. But unfortunately you gotta give up, you know, a lot when you wanna get a certain guy. I think Ananobi spaces the floor better and then he can guard four positions at any time. He's one of he's a he's a first league all caliber defensive perimeter player that Barrett and Quickly were not. And I yeah. think the combination of the two is something that Tibbs really wanted
0: we got to go, Tim. Thanks so much. I appreciate the time and the visit, and we'll talk to you again, hopefully, in the near future. Take care of yourself.
1: Definitely.
0: Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, Tim going thank you, folks, for being with us here on this uh, Wednesday on ESPN six eighty one oh five seven. Uh We're stepping aside and let you know something I don't. I'll be back at it with you tomorrow, and um, we will see you then. It's uh,
1: Striebel coming up next, ESPN six eighty one oh five seven.